0: Hello, and welcome to the Legacy of Generosity podcast, developed by the Leave a Legacy Committee of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association. We are a group of fundraising professionals here to grow and learn with you, our listeners. Twice a month, our co-hosts are joined by a special guest to talk about all things related to being a stronger fundraiser and nonprofit leader. A huge thank you to our sponsors, the Minnesota Initiative Foundations, for making this show possible. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Here are your hosts.
1: Hello and welcome to the Legacy of Generosity podcast. I'm Allie Schneider, Planned Giving Officer at Animal Humane Society.
2: And I'm Christy Ackley, founder and consultant at Fairwinds Consulting.
1: Today we have Patrick Schmidt, co founder of Free Will. He is talking with us during Make, National Make a Will Month, no less, to talk about the importance of creating a will, especially because of the great wealth transfer that is currently happening. Welcome, Patrick.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So let's start off. Can you tell us a little bit more about the company you co-founded, Freewill?
0: Sure. So Freewill is about five years old and uh, we started out doing some research out at Stanford where I met my my now co-founder, Jenny. And uh, my background is in nonprofit fundraising and political fundraising. I, I ran uh, email fundraising for President Obama for a couple of years. And we looked at this plan giving and particularly this coming great wealth transfer and thought, why aren't a lot more people making planned gifts? In an incredibly generous society, only about 5% of Americans leave planned gifts and in a world where 60 or 70% actually give every year. And what we realized is that one, people don't really like doing estate planning. And two, when people do estate planning, no one asks about charitable giving. And so we mm-hmm. thought, okay, let's make estate planning as easy as possible and give it away for free, hence the name free will, and put charitable giving front and center. Uh, and the results is now about 6 to $10 million every day is bequeathed through the platform. It's now the number one estate planning tool in the country. And we are closing in on $6 billion committed to charity that way. And uh, that's been a joy. And, And in the years since, we've also thought a lot about how do you help other complex gifts become really easy for nonprofits and for donors. And so we work on stock giving and IRA giving and crypto giving as well on top of plan giving.
1: Full disclosure we do partner with free will and have had huge success seeing that people can use this like you said it's completely legal it's for free and we love that it includes a part where they have to think about planning for their pet so
0: <laughs> thank you Alan and and animal shelters across the country have been wildly successful in part because it's a good reason uh, having your pets is a good reason to start your planning and starting your planning is a good reason to maybe think about plan giving inside of
2: I'm not as familiar with free will. So tell me, how does it work exactly? Like Ali said that you partner with the Animal Humane Society. How does how does that partnership work? What does that look
0: like? Great question. So we have um, we actually have 200 employees working really hard to make each of the nonprofits successful. And what that looks like is free will itself is an estate planning tool. You can use it to create your own will or you can use it to prepare your, your wishes and then bring that to an attorney if that's the route you want to go on. What we do with nonprofits is we partner with them and they get a co-branded version of the tool so that when the nonprofit giving component of estate planning, which is just one of many components of estate planning comes up, it says, would you like to give to the Red Cross? And you're always welcome to enter other charities or no charity at all. But having that your organization front and center turns out to be wildly effective. And so people are giving something like five or six times more when they use the tools and even more to your specific organization because uh, they heard about it from you. And for organizations, most organizations actually don't even share it as a fundraising ask. They say, this is a service for you, right? It's important to think about your pets. It's important to think about your family. It's important to think about your religious wishes. Here's a tool. If you'd like to include a gift, great, if not, no problem. And because as you both know, planned gifts are so enormous compared to any other type of giving, it ends up generating millions of dollars in the for the organization.
1: Wow. So you've touched on it a little bit, but why is it important for anybody of any age to create a will?
0: One of the unfortunate things about estate planning is the word estate. And a lot of people think, oh, you know, an estate means having a castle in Ireland, when in fact, it just means having any stuff or any planning at all. And so, Ali, you touched on something earlier. If you have a pet, Who takes care of the pet? And are we leaving any money for for the care of the pet? Um, Who takes, who gets the stuff? If it's books or if it's stamp collections, or if it's a car you have, or other money? Um, Who's in charge of distributing your assets and taking care of the estate? Right? So everyone needs what's called an executor. Uh, Also included in the estate plan is often, uh, do you have any wishes for your funeral? What songs do you want to play? Are there readings? Are there people you want to speak at the funeral? Are there people you don't want to speak at the funeral, but might invite themselves otherwise? Things like this is really important for people of any age. And so, um, you know, obviously if you're a new parent, super paramount, um, if you're of any age really, it's important to have. And, you know, one thing that people forget is you can always change it. So it's mm-hmm. not, you it do not have to be sort of total finality. It's just do it and free will, takes about 25 minutes. There's some other avenues that will take a bit longer, but do it and always, you know, set yourself a calendar reminder to change it every three years or or just take a look and say, oh, do I have a new grandchild? Do I have a new child? Do I have a new car? Did I move states? Things like that. Uh, You want to update it, but at its core, uh, it's always worth doing.
1: Are there any aspects of estate planning that people don't think about? Like one that comes to mind when I think of free will was um, how you're constantly improving it and updating it and to tell people to put their passwords for things in there.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point. So, mm-hmm. you know, as as our whole lives move online, things that are as a digital executor, which is not a not a legal term, but an important component of it, who's in charge of taking down your Facebook page? You know, when when you know my grandparents passed away, there are all these photo albums, and it's really nice to have them and share them among my, you know, my grandparents' seven children. Uh, but for us, most of the phones you have are most of, excuse me, most of the photos you have are on your phone. So, who's mm-hmm. in charge? of and, and saving some of the best ones for, for your kids, or your grandkids and things like that. So that's a big component that a lot of people don't think about. Um, and even things like having basic passwords for bank accounts and things like that. Also really important. Um, you know, you want to make sure you're, you're canceling the things you want to cancel and, and taking care <laughs> of and not losing assets as well. Certainly some people have a 401k through their, their work that, that other folks might not know about. And so if someone passes away, suddenly that money could just be lost.
2: That makes good sense. My grandma passed away a few months ago and we've gone through all of that. You know, who gets the pictures and what are we supposed to do with this? And who's going to keep, you know, um, I mean, I, I've had an, one of her, an aunt and an uncle that have passed away, two of her children, and she had all of their stuff too, like their marriage certificates. And I'm like, what are we supposed to do with all of this stuff? And, you know, somehow I've become the, the family, um, Historian. So I I have all of this stuff and I never even met my Uncle Mike. And I'm like, Hmm. why do I, why why me? But Grandma (laughs) didn't have a will and she definitely did not let anybody know what she thought should be done with anything. So she just kind of left it to us to handle. I could see the the value of that, especially the passwords. My husband would have no idea how to get into most of our bank accounts if I just
0: disappeared tomorrow. Yeah, that's a good conversation to have. people are talking about this as a family, and extended family, sometimes folks in the millennial generation or the Gen X generation or even younger boomers will say, how do I talk to my parents about making sure they have an estate plan? And usually the best option is tell them you're doing it and ask for their advice on how they thought about it. And if they said, oh, we don't have one yet, mm. suggest. and so you don't want to say you're getting old, do this. If you're saying I'm doing <laughs> this, Do it also, that tends to be pretty effective. I like that. Well, just talking about about Make-A-Will Month is really interesting for fundraisers. And it's one of the the things that has surprised me most in the last few years of free will. So a couple of years ago, our partner success team, which works with a lot of our nonprofit partners, said, we want to, we want to go big around Make-A-Will Month. And I looked at them and I said, this is the dumbest idea we've had in the while. Right? <laughs> Nobody cares about Make-A-Will Month. It's August, by the way. You didn't know that as podcasters, I didn't know that before. Um, you know, before being part of it. Most of the nonprofits don't know it. Certainly all people don't know it. And I thought, this is silly. Like we're celebrating something that no one really cares about. And it's actually the thing that I was most wrong about in in the history of free will. It turns out that the reason most people don't have estate plans is this feeling of, I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Mm -hmm. And there's not always a reason to do it today. You know, sometimes people say, oh, I just had a kid. I'm going to do it. Or I'm about to go on this big international trip. And and i think sometimes people think planes are are the risky thing which is not <laughs> not mathematically true but it's certainly a feeling people <laughs> have and and so giving people a reason and saying hey we're all doing this together this month becomes incredibly valuable and so as an example in 2021 almost half a billion dollars were generated in a new planned gift commitments in august mostly wow. through partners who went, sent emails that say did you know it's Make a Will Month? We and other charities are promoting this. Make your will here. If you'd like to include a gift, great. If not, no problem. But giving everyone a reason to say, oh, I'm doing this right now
1: mm-hmm. and
0: not waiting until September. And usually September turns into October, which turns into May, which turns into the following <laughs> September, right? Uh, and And it just, it took people across the finish line and it mm-hmm. was wildly successful. And it's a reminder to me to, hold my tongue when other people are bringing ideas and, and be a little bit more curious and experiment because it's it's uh, frankly, the single most effective fundraising thing I've ever encountered at any level of giving is make a will Month. And it's just enormous, enormous sums are being committed that way. And it's really, really cool to see. And so um, would encourage anybody uh, in the nonprofit sphere to think about engaging with Make-A-Well Month, you know, with free will or without, it doesn't really matter, but, but make sure you're on that as part of your plan giving effort.
1: Especially with it being like that time sensitive, like, like, yeah, you
0: can do it in September, but oh, August is make a well month. Exactly. And it's so interesting because, you know, my first reaction was make a well month. And then it was like, we're asking people to do things in August. Everybody's on vacation. <laughs> you know, why August? And it turns out, you know, you're often with family, so it's a little bit easier to do. You think, okay, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. We'll get it done. Um, second is you're not fighting your internal team for calendar space on the email list in August. Cause they think, they also think that, that August is a waste and it turns out right? it's not. So just don't tell the rest <laughs> of the fundraising team and, in, and you know, send a couple emails in August, but, but make a little well month turns out to be just wildly, wildly effective.
1: That is very true. That's like the only month they let me get in three emails. So <laughs> that's
0: right. So, yeah, making you all the sun shines.
1: Right. So as you were kind of talking about getting together with family, like you were saying, you talk to your parents or ask them like, I'm planning my will and my estate. What have you done? My parents are baby boomers. Will probably leave something to me. Tell me more about this, like great wealth transfer that is happening from baby boomers.
0: So this is a really, really big deal. There is seventy trillion dollars that will be passed on somewhere to baby by baby boomers over the next twenty to twenty five years. Seventy Jeez. trillion dollars, right? Larger than the entirety of the U.S. stock market. Just to wow. put that in perspective. You know, people don't really know what a trillion dollars is. It's a thousand, you know, a thousand billion. It's a it's a million million and there's 70 of them. Um, so it's a lot of money. Why is this happening? Right. We, we are. Planned giving is 40 billion, you know, 45 billion dollars a year already. And it's it's hard for us to see. But we're sort of in the dark ages of planned giving right now, yeah. um, we, especially over the last decade. Why is that? Well, you, you basically have folks in the silent generation the so-called silent generation passing away right now, these are people born in the 30s to the early 40s. What's happening in America then? Great Depression, which recessions always hurt birth rates. And then secondly, World War II and and sort of separation of husbands from their wives really hurts birth rates, right? That uh, really sort of uh, strong negative correlation. So there are actually 50% more baby boomers born ever than silent generation born I mean, it's a really, it's just a jaw-dropping gap. So part of, you know, you can see basically, all right, we're going to get a 50% leap in planned giving because there are just more people who Mm -hmm. are of the age of potentially passing away uh, over the next decade than there were in the past decade. So that's a really big, that's a really big shift. So that's one part. Second is these folks are much more wealthy. Why is that? Two factors. One is only 10% or so of silent generation folks went to college. That, that jumped to about 25%. So you had much more sort of high income earners in the boomer generation than among the silent generation, who not only didn't go to college, but were sort of born to the Great Depression, not as many resources from their parents, things like that. Um, the other thing is that boomers are really the generation where women enter the workforce in meaningful numbers. And mm-hmm. so a, a two-parent heterosexual family suddenly has double the earning power that it would have had a couple decades ago. And so that's another big shift. And then on top of that, they're buying houses before the housing market rises, right? They're beginning to invest before the stock market takes off over the last 30 years. So there's an enormous amount of wealth concentration in this generation that that really dwarfs the concentration of the folks who've been passing away for the last 15 years. So really important. And then one other note, Ali, because you you mentioned your own parents, Mm -hmm. one of the uh, interesting things is that people, everywhere, underestimate the number of adults who don't have children. Because every single person was born to parents, right? So Mm -hmm. definitionally, the people that you are most close to don't have children. Mm -hmm. And what we see is actually a sizable percentage, especially dwarfing, again, the silent generation, uh, don't have children. And more than half of women over 65, for instance, are not married right now. Right, Mm -hmm. and part of that is part of that is widows, but a lot of those people Mm -hmm. who actively chose to either be divorced or were never married. Um, So boomers also—they didn't invent divorce, but it became a more common thing um, in the Silent Generation. They didn't invent, uh, you know, choosing not to have kids, but it it became more culturally acceptable. Also, the rise of birth control plays a real major factor in something like that. Mm -hmm. And so you have a lot more folks who who aren't married and don't have kids, or are married but don't have kids, and. And that is the number one indicator of is someone going to leave a, a not just a planned gift but a massive planned gift, and so uh, wow. pretty big variance. And then one last thing is even the folks that did have kids have fewer children. So Ali, mm-hmm. how many siblings do you have? One. One. Okay. Yeah. So two. You know that's pretty standard. I'm one of four. Um, okay. You that can't see me. I'm a I'm a you know mid to late 30s millennial, and four is a big number. My mom's one of seven, and she had a lot of six, seven, eight family or, you know, child friends, I right? grew up in Catholic Rhode Island, that was sort of normal. And, and now, you know, nobody, you know, who's in their 30s or 40s has, has seven kids, very few mm-hmm. people, you know, have four kids. And so you can leave really meaningful chunks to the kids and still have 15% to go to charity, which was not true of my grandmother, for instance, who had seven children, and I think 26 grandkids, I should count at some point, but a very large Jeez. number of grandchildren. <laughs> And so, you know, she passed, She and, and my grandfather passed away, and um, you know, relatively small amounts goes to each each of her children. But that would be different if she had one child or two children.
1: So that's the big impact for nonprofits, and why we should be paying attention to
0: this. That's right. I mean, it is. There is an estimate that something like eleven to twelve trillion dollars will be passed to charities over the next twenty five years through planned giving. Now you can do that math quickly and realize it's about 400 to 500 million dollars each year, which right now is the totality of all giving every year, right? Plan giving, individual giving, wow. corporations, uh, foundations, and the Quest is is part of that. So, um, yeah, wow. it's just it's it's coming, and and I think people have a hard time imagining the future, but but if you just look at all the things that we know to be true, this is the natural result of them, and that money is. You know, is being allocated right now for your folks who are 60 and 70, you know, they may not pass away for 10 or 15 years, but but the choices are happening right now.
1: So to repeat that, plan giving will be the same as almost all giving in coming years
0: to your, to most um, so organizations. To 12 years and, you know, hopefully the rest of the giving goes up too, but but right. you know, we're going to 40, 40 billion. That's a lot of money already to mm-hmm. 100, billion and 100, you know, and potentially 400, 500 billion soon.
1: So if your organization does not have a plan giving program yet, probably work on that.
0: If you're serious about fundraising right. over the next day, like plan giving has to be a huge component. of it.
2: So you've talked a lot about the baby boomers and their wealth that will be transferring. Are they the only ones that we should be focusing on during this time?
0: It's a good question. Obviously there is some attention to, to you know, silent generation and folks who are older as well. Um, but, again remember how how much smaller that generation is, roughly the same number of that generation and baby boomers are going to pass away over the next ten years um, because uh, of just how many how many folks exist in each cohort. Second thing to think about from a fundraising standpoint and a plan giving standpoint is talk about seventy trillion dollars getting passed on. and um, let's just note that that most of that's not going to charity, right? Most of it's going to, Younger Gen X, millennials, a little bit Gen Z, you know, some other folks, and that is a ton of money, right? There is an assumption that millennials will be about five times wealthier in a decade than they are today. Now, some of that is increased earning power, and some of it is um, is inheritance. In fact, half of millennials, millennial millionaires in the country got wealthy, not through tech or finance, but through inheritance. and And that's going to continue to go up. And so there's a ton of money going into crypto and crypto giving because it's coming from you know the house in the suburbs is being sold, the money's being transferred to millennials. Millennials are investing it in a bunch of different ways, but also in crypto. So suddenly, crypto philanthropy becomes really important over the next ten years. If you start to follow the the threads that are happening,
1: so we shouldn't just focus on bequests and cash gifts.
0: Well, bequests and and are going to be really important, but um, you know millennials are going to really step into their own as as major donors over the next five, 10 years.
1: Because even uh, with free will, you have other options or you kind of mentioned at the beginning for stock and crypto gifts.
0: Yeah, exactly. So before we get off plan giving, one important piece here is is around what we call beneficiary designations. And, and Emily and Christy, you know about this, but for the listeners, someone who has an IRA, for instance, that doesn't necessarily get transferred through the will. And you can allocate a charity in your IRA once you pass away, and that there's a bunch of tax reasons why that's really beneficial, right? Our 401ks, which many of you will have, and IRAs are often what we call pre-tax income, which means you don't pay income tax on the way in, and then when you take it out decades later, you do pay taxes on it. And passing away doesn't escape the tax route, right? Your kids will pay the taxes, your spouse will pay the taxes, your grandkids will pay the taxes, and for many of them, taking a whole bunch of money in a short amount of time puts them in a very high income tax bracket, so they're going to pay a ton in taxes. But if they leave it to your organization, they pay zero in taxes and they can save um, you know, post-tax dollars, for lack of a better word, for the kids and, and other folks. And so that becomes a really powerful piece of giving.
1: That is definitely my favorite type of planned gift to talk to our supporters about is beneficiary designations and how they're easy. You can help them with it. like you said, it just goes to the charity and nobody has to pay taxes on it.
0: Really smart.
2: So I know we want to touch on the cryptocurrency because that is definitely a hot topic. But before we go there, can we go back to the support that you provide nonprofits? Then, you so you said the co-branded um, FreeWill version. What other type of support do you provide the the nonprofits, if if any? Um, you know, do you help with marketing tools or like that kind of template language, any of that stuff?
0: Yep. So one of the nice things about FreeWill is we work with about a thousand nonprofits around the country right now. And we're constantly learning new things from all of us. It's really a learning community. And so something cool happens at a college in in the Pacific Northwest, and we can bring it back to the animal shelters in Louisiana and say, have you thought about about trying this? And so what that looks like in practice is you have your own personal site, which you can direct supporters to and say, here's a great way to make an estate plan. And we're gonna nudge charitable giving to your organization. That's part one. Um, Part two is a dedicated partner success team that does things like that says, last year we tested three types of outreach in August for Make a Well Month, and here's the best one, do this, and here's the best social media, and, and here's what it looks like actually in your language uh, for, for organizations, and that's really helpful. And another part is around data. So one of the interesting things about planned giving is that in the past, nobody tells you when they make a planned gift, which is really mm-hmm. hard. So we don't have to say thank you. We also don't get to say thank you have you thought about making a larger real-time gift now? Or would you like to talk about different ways to structure this gift as well? And so that becomes really important. And with the free will tools, donors get to opt into sharing their data. It's not mandatory, but about 70% do. And that's that's three and a half times the rate of normal plan giving. And so suddenly mm-hmm. that's really valuable. And then the fourth is we just do regular trainings for folks. And we're really trying to invest in people's careers and make sure that Folks who are uh, have dedicated their lives to nonprofit fundraising can navigate the next decade, uh, be successful, but also grow their careers. And so, learning about things like beneficiary designations, like as Ali mentioned, or or strategies to navigate how to work this into end of year giving, or things like that, um, and that's been a real joy because we just get to to learn together.
1: Yes, the getting to know about upcoming bequests or possible bequests that could come is invaluable to a nonprofit to be able to kind of plan for the future and see what you could do. Exactly. So yeah, do you want to, we can go back and talk about how you were talking that like, if my parents are transferring a bunch of wealth to me and I want to try investing in crypto, um, why should we be focusing on those other kind of crypto stock gifts, all that kind of stuff?
0: Well, there's two reasons why people should be focusing on on what you might call asset based giving. And, and primarily we're talking about crypto here. Um, first is it's where the money is. So about 3% of all U S assets are held in cash. Everything else is real estate, stock investments, crypto, everything else. And so if you're asking for cash, you're asking for a very small sliver of, of anyone's particular wealth. And so you're just going to get a lot less. I remember I told you that, that, um, about uh, half of millennial millionaires became so by inheritance, Well, mm-hmm. also about half of millennial millionaires have more than half of their wealth in crypto, and about wow. a third of 75%. And so, uh, first of all, very surprising figures. It's a CNBC yeah. poll for folks that want to dig deeper and, and might find it unbelievable, so go check that out. <laughs> but, but the second thing is you can't credibly go ask those people for large gifts if you don't take crypto. I um, mm-hmm. And, you know, for folks that are heavily invested in the stock market, you can't credibly go ask them for large gifts if you can't also give them an avenue to give stock, which avoids capital gains and is a much better tax savings, right? So appreciated assets are just across the board uh, better for donors to give because you get that full income tax deduction that you would get from the same amount of cash and you're avoiding all capital gains taxes. And so, especially in some higher tax states, that tends to be really, really important. But, But in every state, that tends to be true. And so uh, this is where the money is. It's better for donors, right? That's our second reason. And the third reason is that the research shows people just give way more when they give out of wealth than out of income, because you get a paycheck every week and you have a mental model of how much that is and what you can allocate. But if you go look at your savings and give away 2% of your savings, that's probably a much bigger component than 2% of your income. And so, so Mm -hmm. just seen from psychological studies and our friend, Dr. Russell James does some great work on this that when people think about wealth, they will just be more be more generous. And so anytime you can give, make a donor or have a donor give out of assets instead of cash, you are likely gaining a significant amount of money. And the research shows that organizations that focus on non-cash assets grow significantly faster than organizations strictly focused on cash.
1: So it's because you're not focusing on like the, I need to pay my mortgage with this amount of money. Oh, I have all this in investments. Oh, I can give more because I'm not using that.
0: Exactly. That and the tax okay. savings.
1: Gotcha. Very interesting. Gosh. Yeah, we really should be focusing on that and bequests when people see it way in their future and like, oh, I won't be using the money when I'm gone. So leave it to things that I care about.
0: That's right. Ali, one thing that's interesting on that note on, on the asset based giving is. You, know, you probably get some questions and your listeners probably wonder about donor advice funds and the rise of donor advice funds is probably the dominant story in philanthropy over the last 12 years. Planned giving is mm-hmm. probably the dominant story over the next 12 years, but, but the rise of DAFs has been been such a big deal. And people rarely ask, how did this happen? Right? We always talk about it as a thing to solve, but, but no one ever asks why it happened. And what's easy to miss is that something like 65% of money going into donor advised funds is not cash. It's either appreciated stock or appreciated privately held stock for the most part. And now it's increasingly crypto. And so organizations that, are, that hold DAFs, Fidelity, Schwab, Vanguard, these people are experts at making it easy for you to give stock or crypto or some other assets to them. And if nonprofits can match that level of ease, they'll be much more successful. And so really the big advantage that Fidelity has is they just do a good job of making it easy for you to transfer appreciated assets because they understand all the tax savings and nonprofits really have to get there to catch up so that that money doesn't just go sit in the DAF account for five years.
1: Exactly. And I mean, sometimes you find out who it's from when it's coming from a donor advised fund, but a lot of times you don't. So Mm -hmm. if you make it easy for them, you'll know who
0: your donor is. So smart. And people assume... If that's because the donor wants to be anonymous, but frequently the donor doesn't know that they're anonymous. And they're, they're <laughs> When you haven't said thank you, because they just gave the biggest gift of their life.
2: For sure. For sure. I used to work at a community foundation and so they do a lot of donor advised funds too. And you're right. Most of the donors did not want to be anonymous, but they did like the ability to be anonymous when they chose. Um, you know, they're, but I would say 95% of the donors wanted the charity to know who it came from and wanted to be thanked properly. They just didn't want the 25,000 solicitations that they got afterwards. (laughs) You know, there's just, I I think that donor relationship is so incredibly important and maintaining that is so important. It really sounds like this, this service that you provide Patrick is a way another way for nonprofits to be able to connect with their donors at a level that we've been missing out on a really long time and that's so. phenomenal mm-hmm. so what are the steps that a nonprofit can take moving forward to get going in this way to get connected with you to to move forward with free will
0: sure so you can go to freewill.com and at the at the top there's a big button that says for nonprofits and you can use that that link to request a one-on-one meeting with one of our really smart staff around uh, the bequest tools, the stock tools, the crypto tools, the IRA giving tools, which we haven't talked about, and and generally we'll treat you as well as we possibly can. And and if it's not a good fit, we'll let you know. But uh, we we tend to be delighted working with you know, all of our partners, and every partner is sort of an additional opportunity for us to learn and share across the board, and so. You know, we we know, as you do, that the world is changing faster than ever, and it requires sort of constant updates to help navigate the future of fundraising and the future of everything else. And so we really like to, uh, we really enjoy our spot as an innovation hub uh, with a lot of smart people, right? We've got 200 amazing, diverse folks, but also a lot of smart people who don't work at Free Will, um, like Ali, like Christy, who we get to interact with regularly, share ideas and really come up with things together. And so that's, that's been a real, real wonder.
1: That's great. And just to kind of recap, or um, is there anything that you would really want someone to take away from this about the importance of creating a will or the great wealth transfer?
0: So if you work at a nonprofit, figure out your plan for the great wealth transfer now. It is, it is going to be the thing that separates the successful nonprofits from the non-successful nonprofits over the next decade. So if it's not on the board meeting agenda, if it's not a priority in the meetings, make it one because this is coming and it's happening, whether or not you're ready for it. Um, If you are an individual, you know, life is unpredictable and go Mm -hmm. make a will today. You can change it again in a month. If you change your mind, you can change it again in six months, you can change it in six years, but, but every individual should have an estate plan. And it's, it's the kindest thing you can do for the people that love you just to make sure that that's in place. And um, obviously you should think about about causes that are really important to you because this is probably the biggest gift you'll ever be able to make. Um, But, but, you know, we think about our job as making it easy for people to do big things for the, the people and causes they love. And that's what a will is.
1: Perfectly said. Thank you very much. And thank you again for joining our podcast today to everybody who's listening Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow Leave a Legacy Minnesota on Instagram to hear about our future episodes. So thank you for everyone listening, and we hope you join us next time.